Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Brawley, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org, or simply download the CCCIV app, you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977 louis giglio preached a sermon a while back and again I'm, I'm telling you i'm not a scientist okay so i don't have all this stuff figured out perfectly and he he put up a picture of this uh this protein called laminin so here's a picture of laminin it's in the shape of a cross. And what scientists say is that this laminin is a cellular adhesion molecule. It helps to keep the cells together. And so what he says in, in his sermon is that, look, this laminin, this protein is in the shape of the cross. And, and God has left his fingerprint on the fact that he is holding all of matter together. Are you following me? He's really the shape of the cross. He's what's keeping those protons from coming out of the nucleus or those electrons from invading the nucleus. He's the one who's doing it. God is the one who is doing this, right? Now, this is what the scripture says. Look at Col Colossians chapter 1 says this. It says, For by him, God, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. In God, all things are held together. He's the one who holds it all together. Now, today, scientists, they, they say, let me read to you, there, there's a force known as strong force. And I had to write this down because, again, this stuff is above my head. So don't think I'm some sort of genius because I am not. But let me read to you what strong force is. Strong force is a nuclear force, one of the four fundamental forces that is found in nature. Strong force. The other three are gravity, electromagnetism, and weak force. As its name implies, strong force is the strongest force of the four. It is responsible for binding together the fundamental particles of matter to form larger particles. So this strong force, this nuclear force, one of four that exists in nature, is responsible for holding all of our atoms together. Holding it all together. This scripture right here that we're reading in 2 Peter chapter 3 says that there's going to come a day. The day of the Lord will come when God pours out his wrath. That day of the Lord is coming when all of the elemental principles, all of the elementary principles, all of the basic elements, all of the building blocks of matter will be dissolved. That word dissolve means let go. It means released. It means to take your hands off of. That there's going to come a day when God judges the world where he says, okay, you know what? I'm finished holding everything together and he just lets go and everything dissolves. Burns up in a fervent heat. Now, to illustrate this, I want to show you what nuclear fission is. Now, nuclear fission is when, that, that's, what, that's what atom bombs co are comprised of. It's the energy that is released when you take one extra neutron and you blow a neutron into the nucleus 
of a cell. And that, when that extra neutron invades that nucleus, that nucleus breaks apart, and it's like a pinball effect. It's like, it, let me show you what it's like. Look at these uh, pool table. Bring up the, the pool table one. Okay, you, you hit it and the force, and all of these particles, all of these neutrons are released. So it breaks apart the cell into two, and then all of these extra neutrons release, and they hit other cells, and those explode. And it releases such great energy and great power, right? That's what the atom bomb is comprised of. Man has figured out how to take and to cut a, a nucleus of an atom, releasing such force that an atomic bomb is the result. Look at the devastation from an, an atomic bomb. Many of you maybe have seen this, this mushroom cloud, when, again, one nucleus is invaded by an extra neutron, it explodes in a pinball effect. Those explode more and more and more and more and more. And the way that this is different, right, I'm not saying that, that, it's, that God is going to use a nuclear bomb in order to accomplish this. He doesn't need a nuclear bomb because he's holding it together to begin with. The moment he just takes his hands off of all of matter... All of those atoms, all of those nucleuses, all, everything just bursts. All of those neutrons go off and they chain reaction. Just everything will dissolve just in a moment, just like that, in a flash of light. Because God let go. Listen to what this scripture says, Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3. It says, he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. He holds everything together. By the word of his power. And one day he will speak the word and it will cease to exist. This is what the scripture says. Again, could we be asking the wrong question? Not how long, Lord. Maybe that's the wrong question to ask. So at this moment, when all matters dissolved, and he says that all of the works of the, 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 the world will be exposed. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 18 says that there's going to come a day where no creature is hidden from his sight, but we are all naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. One day you will have to stand before God and you're going to be completely vulnerable, completely exposed, completely naked. He will see you for what you are. He'll know exactly what you've done. Have you ever been brought before your parents and you, know, you come in and you think that you're, you're sneaking into the house and they turn on the lights and there they are and you're, you're caught red-handed? You have no, nothing that you can say. There's nothing you can say. You're caught red-handed. This is what it will be like in that day. Every work will be exposed. You'll stand before a holy, righteous, just God and you'll have no excuse for your condition. Nothing you can say and nothing you can do. I praise God that the scripture says that Jesus is like one who comes and he wraps his robe of righteousness around us so we can stand in the presence of a holy God. God wants you to experience that robing in righteousness today. Listen to what it says in Romans chapter 14. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me. And every tongue shall confess, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Every single one of you will stand before a righteous, holy, just God one day. And you'll have nothing to say but to lean upon the righteousness that Christ gives you. Are you ready for that day? If today were that day, would you be robed in the righteousness of Christ? Because you must seek that out. 
You must search for that with all that you have. So we see who God is. Now I want you to look at what life is. Look at what he says. Peter goes on, he says this, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, everything you've been working for, all of your life, life is short, don't you see it? Right? We spend our lives so that we can get a nicer home or a nicer car or have more in our, our retirement account or go on a, a trip or, or whatever it is, you know, to have that Rolex watch or that new pair of jeans or that new phone in your pocket. We spend ourselves trying to get these things and one day they will just cease to exist. They will be worthless in that day. He says, understanding these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought we to be? Now, there's a question worth asking. Maybe we're asking the wrong question, not how long, oh God, but God, how should I be living today? How should my understanding of the fact that you will obtain or you, you will perform your promise, that you will take your church into your presence and you will pour out your wrath on an unbelieving world, how should that change the way I live my life today? Peter's going to tell us, but look at this. The scripture says in Matthew chapter 6 that we should not lay up for ourselves treasures here on earth where moth and rust destroy and thieves break in and steal, but we should lay up for ourselves treasures. In heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Stop living for the wrong things. Stop storing up treasures for here because they will not go with you when you graduate into eternity. They will be worthless. One day they will all be dissolved. Look at what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. It says, look carefully how then you should walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Redeem the time because the days are evil. How are you living your life? Are you making the most of your life? You have one chance at this life. That is it. Moses tells us in Psalm 90 that we should learn to number our days. We're on a clock. It is fixed. One day we will no longer be here. The scripture says in the book of Hebrews that it is reckoned to man once to die and then we enter into judgment. We have one chance at this life to get it right before we're in the presence of a holy God. Life is short. Are you making it count? The question he says we should be asking, asking is what sort of people ought we to be? That word sort in the Greek, some translations your Bible might say what manner of people. That word literally means what kind of soil will you be? Jesus in Matthew chapter 13 tells a parable of the soils, that there are some soils where the seed is snatched, some, the seed being the word of God, right? Some, some soils, the seed of God is snatched from that soil. Some, maybe it, it spurts up right away, but the, the sun scorches it, the trials of life scorch it, and there's no fruitfulness. And others, maybe there's a seed that begins to grow, but then the cares of life come and choke out the fruitfulness of this seed. But there's a fourth kind of soil, a soil that when the seed is planted, it produces an amazing fruitfulness, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. What I love about this verse here, what I love about this word, manner, sort, is that in the Greek, it's speaking of an exotic soil, an otherworldly soil, a soil that you cannot find here in this world, a soil that can produce a hundred times what it should be producing. That's the kind of life I want to live. What kind of soil ought you to be? Understanding that everything will be lost in a moment when God lets go. When he speaks the word and all of it is dissolved, and you, you should stop living for those things, the things of the world, 
right? Those treasures and riches of this life, you should stop living for those things and you should start living for something bigger, greater. You should start living for fruitfulness because only the fruit that you bear for God is going to stand the test of time. When you bear fruit for the Lord's glory, you'll be able to bring those crowns in his presence and you'll be able to drop those crowns at the feet of Jesus. You'll lay those at his feet in worship. And you will say to Jesus in that day, look at what I did for you. This is all for you. I give it all to you. I wonder what you're living for today. What kind of life should you be living? What kind of person should you be? This life is so temporary. Hebrews chapter 11 says this, speaking of the saints of old, says these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them afar off and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They were strangers and pilgrims. This world was never their home. This world is not where they belonged. This world didn't hold their heart. They were living for something greater and something bigger. And it says in verse 14, for people who speak thus make it clear that we are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, then they would have opportunity to return. But as it were, they desired a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. That's what I want to live for. How should I live? How should my life look? What kind of soil am I? Not how long, O oh Lord. What kind of soil am I? What kind of life am I living? Stories told of a rabbi by the name of Chaim Herzog. And he was visited by a woman from America when she went to Israel. And this was her favorite rabbi. She loved his teachings. And she walks into his apartment to greet him for the first time. And she takes an inventory of what he has there. This is a well-known, world-renowned rabbi. And she is puzzled to see that in the home, there's just a desk, a bed, and a a table for him to, to entertain guests at. That's all that there is in the entire house. There's no other furniture. There's no sofa, right? There's no television. There's none of those things. All a bed, a desk, and a table. A bed, a desk, and a table. And she's puzzled. And she says to him, Rabbi, why is it that you have so little furniture in your home? Why is it that you do not have more possessions? Why? You're world-renowned. You're famous. There's no way that this should be all that you have. Where is it all at? And he looks at the woman and he says to her, where's your furniture at? And she says to him, well, I I'm just visiting. I'm just traveling. This isn't my home. I, I, I don't have any furniture here. And he says, ah, that's why I have no furniture either. This is not my home. I'm just passing through. I'm just traveling through. All of those worldly possessions, they don't hold my heart. That's not what I'm living for. I desire a homeland that is far greater. I desire a homeland that is to come. So he answers this, this, this question, and he, or with the question, he says, what kind of life should we be living? What should our soil look like? How should our life be portrayed before those who are watching? And this is what he says. This is his response. This is what you must live your life with, according to Peter. He says this, we should live our lives in holiness and in godliness with waiting and hastening the coming day of God. First off there, we should be living our life with holiness. The word means that which is undefiled and that which is pure, that which has been dedicated to the use of God. That's such an amazing thing to to aim for, an amazing goal to have in your life, that you would live a life of holiness, one that is pure and undefiled and dedicated to the use of God. There's this 
great verse in James chapter 1, verse 27 that, that we often quote when it, we're speaking about what real religion should look like, right? And we quote this often, and this is the way the verse goes. It says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And we stop there, right? If you want to really truly have pure and undefiled religion before God, you've got to care for widows and you've got to care for orphans. And we don't finish off the rest of it. The rest of it says, and to keep oneself unspotted, untainted, undefiled from things of the world. You want to live a life that is right. You, you understand that God is coming for his bride. You realize that wrath is coming upon the earth. You need to live a life that is holy, that is righteous, that is undefiled. That's what you need to be doing. Second thing there, you live a life of godliness. The word means devout. It means devoted, devoted to something. Jesus, he said that we should seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added into us. That the purpose of our life, the heartbeat of our life should be to seek first the kingdom of God. Before you make a decision in your life, before you decide on where to go to school, where to send your kids to school, before you make a decision on transferring jobs or transferring to, to, to out of state, before you make a decision on what kind of car to buy, before where you should go on vacation, do you first actually sit down and ponder whether or not you're seeking the kingdom of God first? If the Lord looked down on your life and the way you make your decisions, would he say, that's a person who's devout and devoted to me? Or would he look down on your life and say, you know what, you're devoted to the things of the world. You're devoted to following after things of the flesh, after feeding you the pleasures of your own life. What is it that really truly captivates your attention? Are you devoted, devout to the Lord, or are you not? Because that's what living a life of godliness means. So Peter says, if you want to do right, you live a life that is holy. You live a life that is godly. Third thing, you live a life with anticipation. Live a life with anticipation. Read it there. Live lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming day of God, that you wait on that day when God comes. Now, the day of God is different from the day of the Lord. The day of God that this is referring to is a day in which God establishes a new heavens and a new earth. And he says we should be waiting for and hastening that day the way a child waits for Christmas morning, that we should be anticipating that arrival, the way that we sit and we hear, or we, we hear the, the commotion in the kitchen and we smell the perfume of Thanksgiving morning and we anticipate the meal and our mouths, they salivate. We should be waiting for the day of God that way. The way that we cannot wait to get married and, and the, the moment before we're married, the night before we're married, there's such anticipation, butterflies in our stomach because we're going to go and we're going to marry the person that we love more than anyone in the world. That's the way we should be anticipating the day of God. Sitting on the edge of our seats, we cannot wait for this thing to happen, that we live with such anticipation of that day, that that is where our focus is, that that is where our desire is. Are you living that way? The day of God, the day that God establishes a new heaven and a new earth. We live with holiness, we live with godliness, we live with anticipation. Finally, you live with hope. If your hope is in November 3rd, you're going to be very sad November 4th. Because the honest truth is it doesn't matter who wins. If the heart of the nation doesn't change, we're already on a path of destruction. Our hope cannot be in things of this life or in things of this world. 
Our hope has to be somewhere else. And here Peter says, listen, you need to be waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. And look, at he describes it, because of which the heavens will be set afire and dissolved again. Known matter will be dissolved, let go of, vaporize, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, verse 13. But according to this promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells, a time where God makes every wrong right. Listen to how this is described in the book of Isaiah. Isaiah describes this day over and over again. He says this, The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, the leopard lie down with the young goat, the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and the little child shall lead them, the cow shall, and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, the lion shall eat straw like ox, the nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put forth his hand in the adder's den. They shall not hurt nor destroy in, in all my holy mountains for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. A day where all is made right. Isaiah would say that in that day they will take their swords, their weapons of war, and they will beat them into, in, into pruning hooks, into weapons of agriculture. He says of that day that the deaf will hear, the blind will see, the lame will leap. A day that we're waiting for, a day that is in the not-too-distant future for those who are in his kingdom already. This is the way it's described in Revelation. As the Apostle John has this incredible vision of the day of God, that day where the new heavens and the new earth come, all that you see, all of the known universe, 46.5 billion light years in any direction, all of the known universe is dissolved in a fervent heat, and God brings its replacement. This is the way he describes this, John does, when he sees this. I saw a new heaven. The word new there is kainos. It's another of a different sort, something like we've never experienced before. I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, dissolved in a fervent heat, let go of, vaporized, and the sea was no more. And they saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more, for the former things have passed away. Listen to this. And he who was seated on the throne, this is God's voice, says this, Behold, I am making all things new. The hope that we have, the hope that we look forward to, is nothing that this world will ever be able to satisfy us with. You see, the end does not end with destruction for the believer. It ends with a recreation of something beautiful that we get to enjoy for all of eternity. For the believer, the end does not end in annihilation. It ends in renewal. Behold, I make all things new. And the beautiful thing about that is the same word that is used in our, our, our theme text for new creations, right? The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have what? Become new. I, I am a new creature. The old is gone. 
I'm new. I've been made new. God wants to start that renewal right now today in you. Again, my worry is that for all of this time, we've been asking the wrong question. How long, God? How long will you allow this? How long will you permit this to happen? How long before you enter in, we should be saying, God, look at what I have. How should I be living? What kind of soil am I? What kind of fruit am I bearing for you? What will I have to give to you when I enter into your presence? We serve a God who's a God of renewal, and he wants to begin that renewal this morning in you. Thanks for joining us today for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. The church office is open Monday to Friday, 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. at 590 West Orange Avenue in El Centro, or call 760-337-9400 for information or for prayer. Christ Community Church has three campuses in El Centro, Raleigh, and Calexico, plus a congregation in Spanish. As we navigate the end of the COVID-19 quarantine season and transition to in-person regathering, we encourage you to find up-to-date information about events and each campus's worship service schedule. When you follow us on social media, on our website at www.cccib.org or simply download the cccib app you'll find the direct link to the app at www.cccib.org forward slash get the app or when you text cccib app to 77977